September 23rd, 2022. Welcome. It's the Chapter 49 podcast. We try to make this a um, podcast that is weekly to the extent that we can. And um, so most weeks we get it, not every every single week, but we're very happy that you have chosen to join us today on this podcast. And uh, we want to welcome our chapter president, Duncan Giles, chapter 49 president. Of course, chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. So, Duncan, I think we finally entered the fall season. Uh, yep, just starting to. And uh, I, I saw uh, something on Facebook basically saying, yeah, you know it's fall when the temperature goes from 90 to 55 like people that are slowing down on 465 when they see a state trooper. Of course, when you see something on Facebook, you're not always certain that it's true, but that one may <laughs> be exactly on point. Uh, for, for those who maybe don't live in this area of central Indiana, Interstate 465 uh, is the uh, loop that goes around the city of Indianapolis, roughly. And uh, the uh, I think the, uh, if I recall correctly, the speed limit on that entire interstate is supposed to be 55. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. But as we are in the racing capital of the world, the greatest speedway, there are an awful lot of people who are out there still trying to set the qualification record. Well, there are some people who say the real racetrack in Indianapolis is 465, not the Indianapolis <laughs> Motor Speedway. So uh, anyway, we uh, we are going to get right to our uh, to our issues today. The first one is is a message that I placed on our Facebook page uh, yesterday. Uh, our NTU National President, Tony Reardon, has sent a message out to all chapter presidents such as yourself, and we've forwarded that out to our membership and anyone else who chooses to read our, our Facebook page, which is, by the way, NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana. That's the name of our Facebook page if you want to search for it. But uh, we were NTEU at the national level was uh, briefed on this whole issue about the surge. It was supposed to end at the end of this month. All these people within IRS who've been detailed from their regular jobs to try to work this paper inventory. And although a lot of progress has been made, apparently not enough to satisfy the top management at IRS. And it's all it's to the point now where our president, Reardon, has raised this issue with the IRS Commissioner Rettig. They apparently meet regularly, on, and, and uh, he has raised this issue talking about what it's causing amongst the people working at IRS. You know, IRS has got an issue of, of, of uh, not just getting people to come to work for IRS, but retaining the workforce we have, and he's trying to make the point that this is not a positive step in that direction, although NTE was certainly willing to work with the management to make sure this paper inventory has worked. I think uh, the message is, why don't you bring NTEU in as a partner rather than just tell us what you're going to do? So I would like um, for you to just kind of give your thoughts uh, about this recent message from our and to you, National President Reardon, and uh, where you think this whole surge issue stands right now? Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of our, as I am usually, of our national office folks, uh, President Tony Reardon, Vice President Doreen Greenwald, um, Director of Negotiations Ken Moffat, who have hammered IRS on this surge issue by basically asking what you just said. If you'd have brought us in right from the get-go on this, it could have been worked very easily, more efficiently, and with a lot less headache and heartache 
than were causing a lot of these employees who are on the, the surge teams. Yeah, the inventory definitely needs to be worked. It it does. It needs to be reduced. But, you know, taking these people and forcing them to do something that they are having no choice in the matter of doing, they weren't asked to volunteer, they were volunteered, and it's causing a lot of friction, a lot of folks who are getting very tired. And as you say, these are folks, if they're eligible to retire, I've heard from several of them who said, you know, I'm either retiring or I'm looking for other jobs, either in or out of the government. Um, it's it's going to be ending up being counterproductive, and that's what I fear is a bad sign. And there's no guarantee that this will end at the end of the year. I am very hopeful it is, but you know, what's to say that they won't try and extend this even further? Well, originally, September 30th was supposed to be the date, right? So that's come and gone, extended. So I think you have a reasonable concern there that uh, this could go on past uh, 2022 calendar year. Yeah. And again, it's just putting a lot of strain on folks who have chosen to go uh, somewhere else aside from submission processing or accounts management to do other things. And now they're being pulled back into this this could hamper their career. You know, we don't want to make sure that it doesn't hamper their uh, performance appraisals for possible awards. You know, Tony has said, let's give these folks some more money for doing this since you're extending them. So we're, we're trying to do everything that we can uh, to a end this by the calendar year and B try and make sure that these folks are taken care of. Well, I think there's another point that you, sort of alluded to that many people at IRS do have ambitions of being promoted. You want to go to the next uh, level. You may have a certain job, but your goal is to get somewhere else. And when you're detailed away from your regular job, you know, you get a bonus and that's, that's nice and all that. If you're trying to build a career and an evaluation that will help you get to the next level, you know, this detail is not helping you in that regard. Absolutely. And that's something that we're very aware of both locally and nationally. And, you know, we're working hard on this to try and get it corrected. And like I said, to take care of these folks as best we can in this, quote, emergency situation. Well, I think we'll agree it's an emergency. It's how the service has handled it, correct? That's well put. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I want to mention before we leave this issue, uh, I mentioned our Facebook page. We've had some comments on our Facebook page uh, about people in, in one particular situation. Let us say you've worked this surge, you're eligible for this bonus, but you retired from the service before you were eligible to receive the bonus. First of all, will these people receive the bonus? And if so, when? Do we have no answers to those questions yet? That is correct. I would believe that they would qualify for the bonus uh, when they're going to get it, because the folks who have been doing this type of work, who've been promoting, um, you know, trying to reduce the inventory either directly or indirectly, have gotten these bonuses who are still working. So for folks who have retired and qualify for it, how long is that going to take? <laughs> Lord only knows. I would hope it's going to be a short time, but it could be quite a while. I would advise folks who are in this situation if they haven't gotten anything by, say, uh, the end of uh, October, to contact your chapter about this so they can inquire. 
And if you're from Indiana, just the best way to communicate with Duncan Giles once you're outside the IRS email system is just to go to our email address, which is nteu49 at aol.com. That's in the general email sphere, if you will. And you can send a message, uh, and Duncan will see that and uh, get and check into whatever you want checked in and try to give you the best answer you can as a retiree. By the way, when you're an NTEU member and you retire, uh, you can continue to be an NTEU member. I am retired. I am an NTEU member as a retiree. It's $42 a year, which I think is well worth it considering what uh, NTEU does for you. So anything else on, on this whole issue of the surge? No, just I wish it had been better handled from the get-go, and we're trying to play catch-up and make sure that we put in as many protections as we can for the folks that are doing this work. I saw a disconcerting uh, article yesterday, uh, so I can keep our uh, Facebook page up to date with the latest news. I I check a lot of the websites that uh, provide news about federal employees. And I did see an article yesterday. I didn't post it because I didn't want to <laughs> damper everybody's spirits. But the whole article was all about your rights when there's a government shutdown. And I thought, oh, <laughs> let's not even think about that right now. Uh, but the fact is, we still do not have a budget for next year. Our fiscal year ends at the end of September. We still don't have a budget. We still don't have a continuing resolution. We have only six of many uh, agency budgets passed by the House. We have no agency budgets passed by the Senate. So we're a long way away from getting our budgets done for the fiscal year of 23, which begins October 1 of 22. So uh, the continuing resolution is in the works in the Congress. But, Duncan, I think the real issue here is, is will the Congress get over the many issues that the Congress has internally to get as clean a continuing resolution put together that can pass House and Senate uh, so we can have a continuing resolution at least for several weeks uh, to give Congress time to pass this budget. It seems like this is an annual thing we go through. Even when there is no shutdown, we tend to get these uh, these issues where it's right on the, the deadline. So uh, how do you read what, what's happening now? Well, Larry, I don't know why you're worried. We have a whole week to get this all taken care of. So it should be no problem whatsoever. (laughs) Okay, I have no no comment, Duncan, on that one. I'm sorry. (laughs) As you said, this has unfortunately become an annual dance that we have to do. Um, You know, Congress's main job is to pass budgets, and they can't seem to get that done in a timely manner. So we have to suffer and wait to see if there are going to pass a continuing resolution. I think we will see a continuing resolution. Hopefully it'll be a fairly clean one. Um, My thinking is at this point is right now it's in nobody's best interest to see a shutdown. So I would hope that they would pass one and the talk has been to get one through mid-December. It's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it's a better situation than closing the government. So I'm hopeful we'll get a continuing resolution passed. When we'll get the actual budgets passed, Lord only knows. How many continuing resolutions we'll need before that happens, Lord only knows. I would hope that they would get 
their work done in a timely manner, but um, it's going to be a, a tough uphill battle for that. And here's the point I make all the time, and, and bear with me. I'm sorry. I just have to remind people of this. Government agencies are as big an operation or bigger than many of our major corporations that exist in the United States. How could a major corporation budget year to year, beginning their budget year, and not even know what their budget is months into that budget year? How could a, 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 a private business stay in business doing business that way, yet the Congress expects government agencies to do that almost every year? I just don't think that's right, but a lot of things happen that I don't think is right, I guess. Yeah, and that's, you know, and how much is this going to impede our normal hiring? We've gotten the money uh, that was set aside to do additional hiring. But is this going to impact it because there's no regular budget? We don't know yet because we're in unknown territory. So there are a lot of uh, questions that still have to be answered. And the faster they pass the continuing resolution and please a budget, that would be nice. So, that yeah, I, I mean, and what we're looking at first is just keeping the government in business you know, with a continuing resolution, which as a reminder, a continuing resolution means you are still within the spending plan of the previous fiscal year. And then particularly in inflationary times, that's a cut. So we're going to have a lower budget, essentially, for this period of time between the end of the fiscal year and whenever it is that we do as an agency, and that's true, most agencies actually have the benefit of our budget and move forward. So, um, not the best way to run a railroad, but that's the way ours is being run. Yeah, it's it's a tough, tough way to do this. That's why, you know, many have talked about doing something biannually, so we wouldn't be in this type of situation. Um, but right now, it's a system we have and that we're going to have to deal with the cards we've been dealt. Yeah, and a biennial has its own set of issues. State of Indiana, for example, uh, they do a two-year budget every year. I mean, so you know they, they do a budget for two years ahead, but that causes problems too because the chances that things will happen, good or bad, within that two-year period makes it difficult to, to react quickly. So I won't get into that uh, debate, but uh, that is uh, a proposal that people have looked at, and, and, it, and they have both uh, good and bad impacts. And how, Would that make things better or worse? I honestly don't know. Let me move on to a, an issue we talk about occasionally. And I, I remember mentioning this to you in my days of, of working as the union's vice president and a union official and a steward. seems that when I had a, a, a leave issue with an employee, it was one of two things. Either one, the employee had little or no leave. We were trying to figure out how to maneuver across that situation. And sometimes, you know, it's it's situations you can't help other times it's different but there are people who just never seem to have any leave when they really need it and have an emergency on the other end of the spectrum and that's what we're talking about now some people refuse to ever take any time off never quite understood those people but they do exist within government they just never take any time off and you do especially once you've worked for the government a number of years have a lot of time to take off as leave as annual leave particularly well Here's the situation. If you are now to the getting close to the end of this this calendar year, leave year, this is almost mostly a calendar year, a little bit different, 
but close to a calendar year. And let's say you're getting close to that. Now, the September 30th is a date you need to know if you've got a big leave balance. Why is that, Duncan? Yeah, it's very important if you're going to have use or lose that you let your manager know when you're going to be taking that use or lose. Why is that important? Why do you have to plan out for three months? Well, the very thing we just talked about previously. You know, if there is an issue, a problem, uh, something like a government shutdown, and you have let your manager know, and the government was shut down, you know, in the case of a couple of years ago when we had our 35-day shutdown, um, you know, because people who had use or lose and let the government, let their manager know, they were able to carry more than the uh, 240 hours that we can normally carry over. So they were awarded more of those days. So if you let your management know, if you have a use or lose, you're going to have more than, uh, you know, you're going to have 240 hours at the end of the year that you want to, you know, make sure that you use up, then let your manager know the dates. You can change those dates a little bit if you need to, but you want to let, you know, be on record, have that email. Uh, so that, therefore, if something does happen and you, the government shuts down, you're not able to take those days as vacation days, you can get reimbursed for those in the following year. So the, the bottom line here is uh, make sure you get your use or lose leave scheduled by the end of September as a way of just protecting yourself. Doesn't mean your manager can't work with you after that date. Uh, this just guarantees if an unforeseen things happen like government shutdown, sadly. Uh, that means you'll be able to take your leave and won't lose it. last thing you want to do is lose leave because you didn't schedule it. Uh, that's the one thing that we want to make sure employees never do. By the way, Duncan, I see you do have use or lose, but not nearly as much as last year. <laughs> I think there are a yeah, couple when of you When you've got a wonderful girlfriend who wants to do things with you and do special trips, Absolutely. You tend to take a little bit, a little bit more leave. So yes, I I will have uh, usual user lose leave, but as you mentioned, not, not as much as I have in the past. Yeah. And that's uh, having a significant other does have an impact on that. So Kim is having a good impact on you. Uh, Let's uh, talk about something. You talked about the hiring that's coming up because of the Inflation Reduction Act. IRS does have additional authority and money to hire more staff over a 10-year period. Now, I don't want to, there's one part of this that I think a lot of people have taken numbers and played with them, and, and I want you to give you a chance to address this because, yes, IRS is going to have tens of thousands of employees that will be hired over this 10-year period, but that doesn't mean that's the amount of additional staff we're going to have. There's a difference between the uh, gross number of people to be hired and what's called the net, the amount of people hired minus the people who'll be retiring and, and just leaving a normal attrition. So kind of help us figure out the math. If people start talking about IRS as one of the largest federal agencies in the history of mankind. <laughs> yeah, that, that one is just as Tony uh, president and president Tony Reardon alluded to a few weeks ago here, you know, they they play with these numbers. You know, we're not going to be having that many additions because there's going to be a lot of folks retiring. And that's one of the things that really get me. And I have 
uh, a lot of discussions with executives at the high levels when they start playing with these numbers. You know, I was just in a meeting earlier this week where someone was telling me, well, you know, we've hired 3,000 people. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm happy for that. You've hired 3,000 people. How many have stayed? How many people who've been experienced have retired or left for other jobs or left the government? The, the total amount that we're hiring is not nearly as important as what is the net. How many people are we actually netting? Is it an increase? Is it a decrease? You may hire 3,000 people, but we may only be netting a couple of hundred because of other people leaving or the folks that we're hiring aren't staying. So if we don't have those types of figures in front of us, we can't get an accurate picture of what we have, what we need, and how to move forward. And, you know, it just, like I said, it frustrates me when I see executives try and play games with some of these numbers. And another aspect of this is, is and, and I think this has been happening for so many years, because IRS has had its natural attrition. IRS can usually forecast within a range how many people are expected to retire the natural attrition that comes where people leave for other jobs or other opportunities. Uh, but I think we all need to keep in mind that we've had so many years, and I say we because I'm a retiree from IRS, so I still have a connection that way, but the IRS has had so many years where people have had that attrition, the retirement, the people leaving, where IRS has not hired at all to replace those people. And we are just beginning the process of catching up for a a process like that that's been going on for several years. Yeah, and you know where they're where they're hiring may not be where we've had significant losses. I know they're doing a lot of hiring on the coasts, but the middle of the country is not getting the substantial hires. The service centers are trying to hire. The call sites are trying to hire, but depending upon the locations, they're having very little luck. You know, one of the things that, again, I had a discussion with um, in a meeting earlier this week was we need to advertise these positions as we need to get more permanent positions in the service centers and in the call sites. And the executive said, well, you know, Duncan, these are jobs are basically seasonal. You know, so outside of the last couple of years, they've been seasonal. And I told this executive who I respect a great deal and I've known for a couple of decades that don't, you know, I've been around too much. You've been around too much. Don't hand me this crap because we know that these jobs have become full time. And it's been quite a few years since they've been actually seasonal. So we need to try and figure out what we need to do to advertise more for permanent hires, because especially still in this economy, when you're looking for a job and see seasonal, well, I need a full time job. You're not going to apply for that job. It doesn't matter whether call site employees are going to get converted after a year or so, which the vast majority have done the past several years to permanent. It doesn't matter that you have a lot of opportunities to move up in a service center to a permanent position to different jobs because they don't know that. All they see is seasonal. And until we correct those types of things, we're not going to get the hiring that we need. You know, Duncan, uh, a couple of observations I would make based on everything you're saying here. Number one, I can remember at least one year 
where IRS did some actual advertising for toll-free assisters. And they went on radio and did some ads and had a tremendous response from those ads and hired a lot of people. The other part of this is that, you know, the service cannot seem to, to make its mind up on seasonal versus perm. And here's what I mean by that. For many years, and even my early years of toll-free, which started in the 1980s, toll-free would go out and say, hey, we want seasonal work. Some people don't want to work year-round, so we are hiring you as seasonal. So what did we do to those people? You know, we basically worked them year-round and gave them a two-week furlough, which was the minimum, to keep them seasonal, but they essentially worked year-round, so they quit because they, they were hired for a seasonal job. And then we had people who came in a seasonal hoping to become perm, and there were some years when things were economically and budget-wise different. Everybody got the minimum amount of work, seasonal work, and we lost a group of people there. I guess, Duncan, this and this goes to something you just now said, your conversation with an exec. I mean, doesn't the service have to figure out what it is we want from these people and treat them the way we say we will? That's a large part of it. It really is. Um, it's one of those things where they, like you said, they want to have, you know, we want to be rectangular, but we're going to be oval. Um, you know, you can't have it both ways. If you want, like you said, the seasonal workforce that's only going to be working until May and then you're going to be cutting them, okay, that's fine. But don't keep extending their seasons if they don't want to be. And, you know, hire them as permanent employees. I don't believe that uh, we do the human touch nearly as well as we used to when recruiting. And I'm talking about things like radio in certain markets or going out and, um, you know, going to events and having booths at events where we would talk to people and let them know what type of careers they could do and answer those types of questions. Well, seasonal, I didn't want to apply. Well, here's what that means. Here's what it could mean. Here's what you could do as a seasonal and things of that nature. You don't get that exposure. I don't see uh, in vast parts of the country anymore to be able to do that. And I truly believe that's hurting us. Virtual is fine. Technology is great, but it's not going to replace those conversations where we can answer those types of questions and have those discussions. Well, Duncan, uh, 30 minutes goes quickly whether it's you and I talking for some reason. So let's have your final comment for the podcast. Yeah, I just um, want to go out or, you know, the Colts, I'm a huge Colts fan, as you know, you know, and we're both Colts fans. Uh, they've not started out well, but I really want to tip my hat to something that the Colts ownership uh, is behind is basically trying to stop the stigma of mental health. They're having an event tonight. And, you know, this is a huge issue for both of us. And I truly applaud them. And, you know, again, I'm going to make my pitch. You know, mental health is just as important as physical health. And you need to get that taken care of. It's, there's absolutely no shame in going to see a counselor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist to help you out. That's what they're there for. These are medical issues. These are documented issues. Doesn't mean you're weak. Doesn't mean you, you know, you're abnormal. It means that as your body is, you know, having a problem and you go to see a medical doctor, you need to see a mental health professional when you're having issues of any sort and they can help you. 
You know, Jim Ursay is the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, and he has been very open about the mental health issues in his family. I mean, he inherited a tremendous amount of money, and of course the Colts team, which is worth a lot of money, uh, when his father, Bob Ursay, passed away. Uh, and uh, even though he's a wealthy man, he has his own private jet, he has a huge estate out in Carmel, which is the richest suburb of Indianapolis, he has all these things. Yeah, you know, he went through some things. He's had substance abuse issues, and he relates that to his issues with mental health that helped cause that. He was arrested for driving under the influence, and, and he has worked hard to, to come back from that. He was suspended by the NFL owners because of that for a period of time. Uh, his daughters actually uh, ended up running the team for a few weeks and had got high marks for doing that. But, but Jim Ursay, as you mentioned, as owner of the Colts, has also made – uh, this whole removing stigma from mental health treatment, a big situation. You and I have talked about that. I live in a, a suburban city just next to Carmel Fishers, Indiana. Our mayor has made mental health and the removal of that stigma a very big part of his administration ever since he became mayor, since we became a city. Our local school system has uh, one of the most advanced systems of, of mental health treatment for students. So I am very much a fan of removing the stigma of, uh, of getting mental health treatment. The medical community has come a long way. I think private corporations have come a long way. The government is still uh, moving in that direction but needs uh, a kickstart every now and then. So, Duncan, I would fully agree with you that uh, it's it's time that that stigma be removed. And the Colts may be having a tough season to start off, but I have to give the owner kudos for what he's done in the area of mental health. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, I've got a daughter who is a mental health professional and firmly believe that that is something that is can be beneficial to everyone. And you just heard Duncan Giles. He's our chapter president for Chapter 49. As I mentioned before, Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name's Larry Landon. I'm a retiree and uh, also a, a volunteer in the area of communications for Chapter 49. Duncan and I have been producing this podcast for about two and a half years now. We've still been amazed at the response. We thank you for watching the, the YouTube video and listening to our podcast on the various audio platforms where it is available. So if you like the podcast, let others know. You can sign up for an email to get every time we have a new podcast, a video, and audio link. Just ask uh, Duncan to put you on the list. Email him at nteu49 at aol.com. So we thank you very much for watching and listening to our podcast. And please be safe and be kind.